0: The series we started last week is uh, uh, striving together, and uh, and really the theme we're going to look at several aspects of just the Christian life, church life, family life, uh, where unity and, uh, and and working together for a common goal, a common purpose, um, how God desires it. So this morning we're going to look at uh, really striving together in the home, how we work together in the home environment. That home structure and and I believe and it's really the heartbeat of our church that uh, uh, that a strong family strong families make a strong church and uh, and first of all it's it's uh, it's practice you can learn how to be a good Christian at the home you're be a good Christian outside the home and uh, and that's really where our training is for our young people and and so forth can you turn me down a little bit I just feel like I'm really booming And uh, so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning, Ephesians 5, and uh, look at verse number 31. It says, uh, For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for our time together today, for these that have come out this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we uh, endeavor to strive together in truth, in unity and that it would begin at the home. Lord, I pray that every one of us would not just be Christians in public, but that we would live these principles in private, and that it really begins in the home. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us now understand these truths, and we pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. So again, as we consider some of these things, uh, really, it does begin at the home. Uh, father's taking the lead and the family striving together. Uh, by the way, one of the greatest places we can learn how to be a servant is in the home. Um, one of the things we try to do, uh, and uh, we're not always great at it, but uh, if one person's getting up to get a drink, for example, to refill their glass at the dinner table, uh, trying to get in the habit of, does anybody else need something? And even to the point of over the top, my wife and I sometimes might even you know, uh, even go around the table, do you need something, do you need something, really just trying to show them, this is what it looks like, joyfully going and getting you a glass, because typically it's like, no, you get your own glass, right, that's what we like to do in our own flesh, and then, uh, you know, because why, the world revolves around us, and uh, so we're going to look at a couple of principles, and we're going to back up all the way to verse number 18, and uh, the first thought this morning is that we must seek his power, we must seek his power, why, why do we need to seek his power, because the flesh is contrary to, to the ways of God, right? And so it says here in verse number 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with humility in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. By the way, those four verses is one sentence. It's a long sentence, all right. I don't think Paul would do very well in an English class, honestly. He likes those run-on sentences, <laughs> but uh, but the expression, notice the expression in verse eighteen, be filled with the Spirit, and really the nineteen verses that follow about family relationships, about husbands, about wives, about children and fathers, and and and, uh, and even as it goes on to servants and masters. All this stuff really flows from this. And by the way, if we want the greater context, go all the way back to verse number one. Be ye therefore followers of God, <clears throat> excuse me, as dear children. And so, as we look at this uh, now, now in the flesh, there is a measure of I can love my wife. In the flesh, there is a there is a there is a, a point where wives you can submit to your husbands. There's a point where children can't obey in the flesh. And, and, but, but if we're going to take it all the way as far as God wants us to take it, by faith, as we submit to Him, uh, it really is going to take this yielding to the Spirit. It's going to take this, am I really trusting and following God? Uh, and it really makes that contrast. Uh, uh, you know, uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be full of the flesh, don't be full of whatever you want to put in there, but be full of the Spirit. And so, so, very important uh, as we look at this, being filled with the Spirit, that we are to have a life that is submitted to the Spirit of God as we're looking and seeking to follow Him. Uh, understand something, a car can only have one driver, right? Um, a ship can only have one captain. You may have several that have different parts that they play, but there's one captain. There's one guy calling the shots saying, here's how this thing's going to run effectively, and I think the biggest battle we have in the Christian life is uh, is I'm trying to lead, and the Holy Spirit's trying to lead, and what's happening? We're butting heads. Okay, the the Spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh against the Spirit, and these two are contrary one to another. They're butting heads. Who are you going to allow to take control, to take lead? First Corinthians six uh, nineteen and twenty. It says, "What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own?" For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Uh, Such an important concept that that all of this is is to be yielded for the glory of God. We go in his direction, and and, and it's learning, it's this concept, right? There's a Patch the Pirate song. Only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or what? Pleasing self. And by the way, they have a new, uh, a new adventure that just came out if you guys are looking for Christmas presents for your kids. Um, but uh, yeah, there are only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God, pleasing self. And, uh, and that, that's really the issue, right? This is also, in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And uh, that's the battle. And by the way, uh, it was an issue in Paul's day, it's an issue in our day. Um, that's just what naturally what we do. We love ourselves. And so a big part of that, uh, a great verse uh, that I, I've been challenged with a lot, it's a simple verse, it's a common verse, it's when Jesus was laying out what is discipleship. If any man will come after me, let him, what? Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Uh, that measure of self-denial. And, and I mean, I'm afraid sometimes when we look at this, what does a holy life look like? And, you know, that, that you can never have any fun. You're always serious all the time. You're always, you know, and I'm, I'm just denying self. I'm denying self, you know. But when I look at the Bible, I see joy. I see uh, Christians ought to have joyful lives, excited, you know, about uh, what God's doing. And, and uh, I don't think it's that, way, it's that way at all, that we can't have fun or can't have a good time. But the issue is, am I pleasing God? Am I going in his direction? Am I, am I embracing the things of God? Or am I fighting against it? That's really, that's really a difficult challenge. Um, we can go all the way back to Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there. Uh, but in Deuteronomy 31, as God's people were going into the promised land, uh, uh, Moses laid this out for them uh, under the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord. In verse number uh, 12 and 13, he says, Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God. And observe to do all the words of, the, of this law. And that their children, which have not known anything... By the way, how many of you understand? Children do not know anything. Right? That's why they have to be taught. That's why they have to be instructed. Uh, they don't come into this world knowing anything. All right? Uh, so he says, their children, which have not known anything... And specifically, he's talking about they have not known the ways of God yet. They have not seen Him at work. Uh, children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land whether you go over Jordan to possess it. This, is what, this was God's plan, that in the home we talk about these things, in the home we discuss it, in the home we show our children who don't know anything, we show them something, right? How are they going to learn it if they're not taught? How are they going to learn it if they're not shown? And, uh, and so, so important. One author said this, Train up your children in the way he should go, uh, or tra- train up your child in the way he should go, and walk there yourself once in a while too. And, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but the reality is, uh, we need to walk there. We need to go there. Uh, I like what Solomon said to his son in Proverbs. he He said, son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. We're after their heart, and we're demonstrating, we're displaying it. Do as I do, not just as I say. You see, and we bring them along the way. Why? Because in their flesh, they know nothing. And they got to learn the ways of God. They're going to learn it by experience. They're going to learn it by demonstration. They're going to learn it. Yes, there's an intellectual part as well. But we bring them along. And so, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So we ought to uh, desire to have lives that are set apart for the Lord and be used for Him. We also ought to have a singing heart. We see, we see there... Uh, uh, it says, uh, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, and then, semicolon, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, any one of us can uh, outwardly sing, right? Well, I don't mean you can sing, but, but you can sing right i didn't say well but you can sing any one of us can go through the motions we can sing we can sing along with the radio we can sing in church service we can sing but it's a whole nother thing when we're singing and making melody in our heart in our heart by the way when there's a melody in your heart it starts to flow out you make a joyful noise to the lord you're you he's given he has given me a new song in my heart even praising to our god uh, oh, my, my mouth, is actually, is what that verse says. Even praise to our God. Many shall see and shall fear him. Um, I sing hard. Philippians 4, four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, parents, we ought we to set an environment in our homes that bring about uh, a melodious uh, a, a song from the hearts, right? I, I, I get so excited, or I just, like, smile, especially when, when the really young kids are singing a song, like, uh, like maybe a hymn or even just a, a happy kid song. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll hear my son in his room, and he's cleaning or playing Legos or whatever he's doing, and he's just singing away in there. Sometimes they just make up songs. And I'm thinking to myself, there's a kid with a song in his heart. There's a joyful countenance. There's something, you know, and, uh, and, and it just it so pleases me when I, when I see that. But, you know, one of the things we try to do, and there are times when there's just strife in the home. There are times when it's like just, you know, it's just loud and noisy. And they're not exactly necessarily fighting, but it doesn't feel like peaceful. It doesn't feel like harmony. And you know, I think to myself, ah, have we put any good music on today? Have we put, you know, trying to set an atmosphere, if you would, and um, uh, how it makes a difference. And so we, we ought to be mindful of some of these things. Uh, God, I believe, is a, uh, is a God that loves music. You know, the largest book of the Bible was, uh, was put to music. Um, the Bible says that God rejoices over us with singing. That's an amazing thought. God sings. Uh, when I get to heaven, I want to, you know, it's going to be awesome to hear the angels and all that, but I want to hear what God sings like. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? It's going to be interesting. But, uh, but God re- likes it. He wants us to rejoice, He wants us to have a heart of singing, um, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. By the way, it doesn't say a pleasant noise. A joyful noise, you see. Sometimes the joyful noise for you might be very obnoxious for somebody else, but it's to the Lord, you know. Uh, whether it be a whistle, whether it be a, a humming a tune or whatever, um, just, you know, it's to the Lord. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, I've referenced this several times. Uh, Paul and those that were with him were writing to the church of Corinth. And he said this, Not as though we, uh, uh, we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. And what a concept! As a spiritual leader, as a parent, as, as someone uh, uh, taking charge or leadership over your home, uh, are you a helper of your children's joy? There was a uh, there was a comedian. And he was talking about his son, and they were having uh, 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 they were eating spaghetti, and his son was like doing something with the noodles, and he's like, let's see what this guy's about to do, you know. And, and, uh, and sure enough, he slurps the noodles in, and it's fl- flinging and flapping everywhere, all over the walls. And, and he goes, <laughs> and he says, you know, and I think I kind of made a mistake there, he says, because I got after him, you know. And, and, uh, and you know, I started thinking, you know, in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know, he, he said, he said, don't you understand the paint on the wall is more important than your happiness? <laughs> And, uh, and there's an element sometimes we get out of control. We, get, we let things get away from us. Am I a helper of my children's joy? Or are they afraid when dad comes around? Oh, I've got to make sure that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong or that could be perceived as wrong. And, and, you know, and sadly, there are a lot of children out there that that's how they feel when their parents come around. They're on trial, right? And, uh, no, I want to be a helper of my children's joy. You know, if I help their joy, they're going to have more liberty to grow. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our help is of your joy. Why? For by faith ye stand. You see, if I have dominion over your faith, it's not your faith that's growing. It's me lording over you in your faith. You see, we want an atmosphere for them to grow. And uh, and so how important that is. Um, Next, we should have a, uh, a satisfied spirit. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always. For one who's filled with the Spirit, they'll possess a spirit of gratitude, of thanksgiving. And of course, as we're going into this week, Thanksgiving week. Uh, you know, it should be a theme as we're thinking about this and meditating and, and contemplating it. But you know, for the Christian, uh, they should have a life of thanksgiving. It should be thanksgiving. This is, this is who I am. This is a part of me. I am grateful. Uh, and, uh, and by the way, everything should flow If we're very mindful of our salvation, so much of that gratitude is just going to flow from that, realizing I don't deserve anything, realizing that I'm not worthy of the least of his mercies, and the fact that he's chosen to save me, much less all these other blessings that he has has given me, uh, how can I not be thankful? How can I not be grateful even for the little things? You see, we ought to be just grateful people. Uh, Colossians uh, 3, 1 and 2. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is at the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above and on the things of this earth. And uh, You say, what are we talking about? My, my passion, my desires are for those things above, as opposed to 2 Timothy 3, where it talks about uh, loving our own selves. I, I'm seeking the things of God. Uh, 1 John two fifteen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. First Timothy 6, 6 or 10, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, it's certain we can carry nothing, uh, uh, no thing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some have coveted after, have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." Now, by the way, it doesn't say those that are rich. It says they that will be rich. The will, that desire I'm chasing after it, you see. And what happens? Well, the love of money. It doesn't say money is, is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, and so, so what, what, what is God showing us here? That If we're going to have a thankful heart, a grateful heart, a big key to that is contentment. A big key to that is seeking things which are above um, uh, One person said it this way, contentment is this, uh, uh, realizing that God has given me everything I need for my present happiness. I'm not lacking anything right now, you see? And if I was lacking something, truly lacking something, uh, based on the promises of Scripture, I know that God would provide it. So if I don't have it, (laughs) there's an element of, uh, of, well, I'm to be content with what I have. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for you said, "I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee." And then uh, we should have a submissive disposition. Look at uh, verse number uh, uh, twenty one: submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, in the next several verses, we're going to see God's structure for the home. And you know, depending on where you look or what you listen to, you're going to hear all kinds of things about this topic, about structure, about what the home should look like, and, and quite frankly, the traditional biblical-based home today is uh, no longer uh, uh, the norm. In fact, uh, you can even be judged as being uh, old-fashioned and even bigoted for not adapting to the, 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 the new, the, the woke home, right? Um, but, but really, uh, we have to come back to this and say, wait a minute, I think God knows some things that I don't know. God understands some things that I don't quite understand. And, uh, and so, so as we consider this, we'll start with, uh, Romans twelve ten where it says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And, uh, you know, and, and by the way, again, this starts in the home, preferring one another, not about, uh, me first, um, but, uh, but we first, <laughs> one another, how can we, uh, serve? How can we minister? How can we bless others? You see, the home is good pr- a good practice for the Christian life. In fact, that preferring one another, that's actually a phrase that my wife and I use with our children when they're bickering. We, uh, a- we ask this question, are you preferring them? Are you preferring them? And from a young age, they were getting that concept, uh, uh are you preferring your brother? Are you preferring your sister? You know, and then they have to come to grips and say, no, I wasn't. <laughs> you see, it humbles them. Um, but that's where we practice it. Philippians uh, 2, 4, look not every man on his own things, but the things of others also. The home is a great place to practice these principles. We get it down there. Guess what? When they step out, they just know this behavior. They understand how to exercise this. They understand how to display it. Why? Because they've done it at home. In fact, so much so that it should be strange to them when they see somebody not practicing that towards them. That's weird, right? I remember uh, Sadie, uh, you know, she, uh, when she was really little, you know, she had just such a sweet spirit And, and uh, as a young girl. And I remember uh, she was brought into a church nursery or some kind of uh, young kid's class setting. And one of the girls uh, took a toy or did something, I remember. But uh, I don't remember exactly what the details were, but but I remember she had the most confused look on her face, like, why would somebody behave like that? Like, it it, it just was not registering in her mind, in her little innocent mind, that someone would be so uncaring, <laughs> because she was always kind of, you know, she just was a natural of with sharing and just a lot of those kind of things. It's really quite quite humorous. But um, but we practice it at the home, and then uh, next we must understand God's pattern. His pattern. We we're looking to God for His power through the Holy Spirit, but then we see His pattern laid out. And uh, you see, God has a pattern for husbands and wives. Verse, uh, verse number 22 there. Uh, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular love his wife, even as himself, and the wives see that she reverence her husband. God has the pattern. <coughs> um, a preacher said this once, A husband and wife are equals before God, but equality of worth is not, is not sameness of function. God created male and female different at the very beginning, and God created man as masculine creatures and females as feminine creatures. We are to celebrate the differences, not discriminate against it. A woman is superior to a man at being a woman, and a man is superior to a woman at being a man. By the way, that's why we don't let them compete together in sports. Um, That's becoming a big issue in our day, isn't it? You know, Um, some of these schools are uh, allowing boys to compete against girls just because they grew their hair out and think they're a girl one day. And uh, you know what's really starting to happen? We're just discriminating against girls is what we're doing. You know, not giving them a chance, but uh, another topic for another time. But but, uh, going back to God's order. And so let's start with the husband, because uh, uh, that's that's not as um, uncomfortable <laughs> and controversial. <laughs> but we saw there in uh, verse uh, 5 to 29, husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. Now, if it just said husbands love your wives, that'd be a lot, it'd be a lot easier to swallow that pill. Or, oh yeah, I love my wife, right? I uh, I bring home the bacon, <laughs> okay. Uh, but he says, no, no, how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What a, what a high order. If, if God could not pick any higher standard, well, how am I supposed to love God? Well, you know my son who's perfect? I want you to be like him. <laughs> um, <laughs> can, we, can we pick someone, uh, a, little, a little lower target that I can aim after? No, he says, this is how you are to love your wife, as Christ laid down his life for his church. Um, And then he goes on that he might sanctify and cleanse it, talking about the church, with the washing of the water by the word. Now, it's interesting how Christ's uh, commitment and what he does to his church is in correlation with what he is saying, how men ought to love their wives. Did you know, men, you give your wives value? Uh, You give your wives value by your words. Here, Christ cleanses his church by his word. Uh, it says that he presented to himself, uh, talking about the church again, <clears throat> a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. That is, and by the way, it's not saying that you are causing uh, your wife to not have wrinkles. Okay, But, uh, but I want to say this, beauty is the eye of the beholder. Do you elevate your wife? Do you build her up? Do you uh, see her as beautiful? Uh, that's a challenge. You know, he's making this contrast to Christ in the church, and these are the descriptive terms that he's using. Uh, he puts the value of the wife on the man. Uh, I do not think that's a stretch. There was a, a, a preacher. He's no longer a pastor today, but uh, uh, he, would, uh, he would get after women in his church. And he's saying, you know, after you got married and had kids and you just let yourself go and don't even care about keeping your husband's attention, he would go on and on and just hammer on these women. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, well, first of all, what's he teaching those men about their wives? But secondly, uh, those men need to get in there and, and, uh, and love their wives and that they'd, that they'd see their wives as glorious, you see, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. That's not it's not not in the Bible, and uh, and I think it's so easy in our culture. Well, I just got tired of it. You know, uh, I heard one person say it shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't be till death do us part. It should be till uh, till we get tired and desire an upgrade. <laughs> I'm like, that's the world we live in today. And uh, no, no, he that findeth a wife that 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 marriage uh, a covenant finds a good thing. That is a blessing, and, and, uh, and, and men, we give value to our wives by how we love them, how we speak to them, how we look to them. Um, and I do believe that the greater burden really is on us, man. Uh, by the way, I, I, do, I also believe that if we do our part well, their part will come easier. Um, it's hard to submit to a knucklehead. <laughs> but I tell you what, if she is just convinced that he loves me no matter what, he uh, cherishes me, uh, it's got to be a hard-hearted wife to, to, to say, I'm not going to submit to that man. You see, uh, man, we ought to take the lead. We ought to take the initiative there. <clears throat> One person said this, The problem in America is failure in the highest office in the land and that office being husband and father. I thought that was a pretty good statement. And then wives, they're to demonstrate submissive love. I like that last verse that we read in verse 33. Wives are to reverence their husband. How many of you have read the book, Love and Respect? Anybody here read it? I strongly recommend that book, Love and Respect. Uh, It really lays it out from, from this text. Man's greatest need in a relationship, is to be respected. That's why the woman is given the command to submit. But the woman's greatest need in that relationship is to know she's loved. Now, love comes natural for the woman, uh, and, uh, and she wants to, you know, but she gives it. That's why she's not commanded to do it. But she needs to know that she is loved. And then uh, on the flip side, you know, what's one of the worst things you can do to a, to a husband? Well, disrespect him belittle him, right? But uh, it's a phenomenal book, talking about even the perspective that men see things versus women. And he talks about how men see things from blue, uh, from blue sunglasses, and women see things through pink sunglasses. And, and uh, uh, anyways, it's a, it's a wonderful read. I encourage you to read it. But, uh, but really, that's, that's the issue. So it says in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. As unto the Lord, by the way, your own husbands. Uh, as a pastor... Yeah, my job is to preach the Word of God, but, uh, but the reality is, man, you need to take the lead. I'm not going to tell your wife what to do. <laughs> and she shouldn't listen to me uh, uh, as far as just me. She should listen to her husband. Um, Smit your own husband, says unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Well, what a great principle, as unto the Lord. Uh, uh, well, you don't know my husband. He's, you know, he's, <laughs> as I said earlier, he's such a knucklehead, you know. And uh, yeah, well, uh, welcome to the club. I'm sure many women can say that, <laughs> but it's unto the Lord. Peter lays it out, and he gives a great example, even as, as Sarah called Abraham Lord, and she, she followed him, right? Uh, now, I want to say this, that uh, if you know the story of Sarah and Abraham, uh, Abraham kind of led her into some dumb things right? Uh, violate some principle, violate some scripture, yet you followed. And I just want to say this, and I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily you should follow your husband into sin, but, uh, but there's an element of, you know, well, he, he might make the bad decision, he might make a wrong decision, you see? Well, there's an element of just, well, you follow your husband, let God deal with him, okay? Um, it can be a very difficult thing when things are out of your hand to want to wanna, want to try to control things or even be the Holy Spirit to your husband. and It just brings issues. It just brings problems. We've got to be so careful with that. In a marriage, each member fills a unique role. Uh, Much like uh, 11 players on a football team, only one member of the team can uh, call the plays. and That's typically the quarterback. It's not because he is more intelligent or has greater experience or is a greater athlete than the other teammates. It's because the coach said so. And, you know, uh, the family structure in the home uh, is not just because, it's not because the father is the most spiritual. It's not because the father is the smartest. It's not because of any of those things. It's because God said so. You see? Now, a wise husband, you know what he's going to do? He's going to counsel with his wife. And they're, uh, they are a team, and they're going to go through this together. But, but really, at the end of the day, uh, you can yield to your wife if you want and let her make all the decisions. But at the end of the day, you're the one that is accountable to God decisions that are made. And, um, and so that's a, it's an important thing. Uh, God has a pattern for parents and for children. Uh, look, at, uh, look at chapter 6 there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. By the way, do we really need anything else there? God says, do it. Why? Because it's right to do. And we ought to, we ought to require that of our children. Um, rebellion is, is the sin of witchcraft. And we need to help our children understand, hey, you need to obey your parents because it's pleasing to God, because it's right to do. You see? But then it goes on, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, thou mayest live long on the earth. Uh, why, would, uh, why would obeying your parents go well with you? What happens if you disobey your parents? What should happen if you disobey your parents? It shouldn't go well, right? You might not be sitting for a while. Um, It shouldn't go well. There should be some pain correlated with disobedience. Why? Because uh, think about this. In the long haul, consider the pain they're going to go through if they don't learn about authority, if they don't learn about submission and obedience. The pain is not going to be simply uh, uh, a rod to the backside, but the pain would be much, much more detrimental. Prison, addictions, whatever the case may be. Broken marriages, broken families, broken homes. Why? Because they didn't learn to submit. They didn't learn to honor others. They didn't learn to, uh, to obey. And so we ought to uh, teach them some of these things. Uh, um, obey describes the behavior, while honor describes the spirit in which the behavior is carried out. It's a, it's a special command that carries a promise, uh, uh, a favor, if you would. Not only is it going to go well, but you're going to live long. I think, I think about that promise there. Back in the Old Testament, when a child was a rebel, uh, you know what the, the, the last straw is supposed to be? The, the, the final thing for that rebel? He's going to be taken out and stoned, all right? Uh, you know, all right, that's it. You've disobeyed me. You've dishonored me for the last time. Right? We take them outside into the parking lot. We stop everything, we bring all the kids so they can watch. All right, Johnny has uh, talked back to his dad for the last time. Boys and girls, we're all going to see what happens when you talk back to your dad for the last time. And he's stoned to death. What, what, what's going to happen to the other kids? <laughs> They're going to think twice before they talk back to their dads. Now, we don't do that today, and I'm thankful that we don't do that today, but, uh, but uh, I'll tell you what, he did not have a long life. Those other children that learned to obey their parents had a long life, or longer Right, it's a comparative term, but uh, but but you know there there is some truth to that. But there is there are blessings, there are blessings. I think of people that are that have OD'd on drugs, that are just uh, uh, ruined their lives, or destitute out there somewhere along the way. They probably did not know learn how to honor their parents. They didn't, it didn't go well with them. They didn't have a long life or a meaningful life. So we need to follow his principles. He gave us the pattern and and, uh, we need to follow those principles. Follow principles of uh, loyal devotion. Verse 31 uh, uh, presents the most uh, oft-repeated marriage principle found in Scripture. It says this again, For this cause shall I leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. God's plan for marriage is uh, one man, one woman, for one lifetime. By the way, uh, um, you know, in the, in the context of the day we live in today, people are saying, you know, marriage is one man, one woman, one man, one woman. No, no, you're missing it. That's two-thirds of it. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That's God's plan. You see? Uh, even within Christianity, we've, we've gotten to this place where we're kind of jumping from one marriage to another, to another, to another. And uh, even to the point where, where preachers are doing it. I know several that, uh, that stayed in ministry in their same church that... Uh, that left their wife and married a lady in the church and they just stayed in that church and serving. And, and I know personally of at least two that, that, that's done that, not to mention all the ones that maybe take off and go somewhere and then they go pastor another church and, and, and whatnot. I'm thinking, boy, if, 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 if pastors can't even get this figured out, you see, we're in trouble. But, uh, but that's God's plan, that it be for life. We need to follow the, His pattern. <clears throat> I'm not going to get into the, the theology of, uh, of that uh, what constitutes divorce remarriage, but uh, I mean, we'll talk about that another time. Um, Adrian Rogers said this, he says, uh, um, Why let a wonderful marriage go down the tubes because of problems? There are no problems too big to solve, just people too small to solve them. People who get divorced and those who are happily married have basically the same kinds of problems. The difference is in loyalty and commitment. Remember, it is not only love—the st- uh, excuse me—it is not only that love that sustains a marriage, but also marriage that sustains love. And unfortunately, I think we followed uh, the, the Hollywood kind of uh, model. We fell in love and lived happily ever after. Uh, the Bible doesn't show that anywhere in there. The Bible teaches us that we grow in love. We're commanded to love. You know, I've had people sit down in my office and, uh, and say, well, pastor, I just don't love her anymore. And I'll say, well, is that got to do anything? <laughs> right? Because what you just told me is I'm choosing to disobey God when God commanded husbands to love your wives. And so what, you've, what you're telling me is I don't want to obey God anymore. I'm done obeying God. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like we, we when, uh, when we're all kind of, uh, had fallen in love, and, and we're there at the wedding altar, and we've been looking forward to this day, for, you know, and then we go through those vows, and he says, for better or worse, and we think, yeah, I'll say that, because I can't imagine anything worse. And then worse comes. It's amazing when we give our excuses and say, well, I'm divorcing because of this. Isn't that, doesn't that qualify as worse? For better or worse, right? That's the worse. Oh, I didn't think it would be this worse. <laughs> I didn't think it would be this, but well for better or worse. But we follow the principles of, uh, of, of this connection in life. Verse 29, for every man, uh, uh, for no man ever yet hated his flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. We see here this responsibility to, to nourish and to cherish that, that relationship with his wife, uh, to cherish the wife herself. And uh, the idea here is to devote time, energy, care, for the relationship. And by the way, that principle applies to every relationship. I just don't know why I don't have a relationship with my kids. How much time have you spent with them? You know how kids spell love? T-I-M-E, right? Time. Well, I bought them what they wanted for Christmas. Um, One of the kids came up to me today. They they followed me into my office this morning and uh, saw my guitar there. He says, my dad hasn't gotten me a guitar yet. I said, oh, did you tell him you want one? He says, yeah, it's the only thing I want for Christmas. So, Pam, he only wants one thing for Christmas, all right? And uh, <laughs> so your, your shopping list just got small there. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but it's not about things. It's about, it's about time. Time. Um, you know, and you, you, could ask, you could ask kids who have, you know, busy dads, and, you know, would you rather have something really nice? Or would you rather have a day with your dad? You know, find out what you hear. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's telling. But really, it's time with your relationship. It's time with, uh, with any relationship in life. First Peter 3, 7 tells us that we are to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. Dwell with them. That's a time thing. That's a nearness thing. And then according to knowledge, uh, what is that? That's, uh, that's knowing them. You see, I ought to have a Ph.D., in, uh, in in karyology, <laughs> My wife's name is Carrie. Uh, in knowing my wife, I had to know what makes her tick, all right? I know what makes her tick off, but I had to know what makes her tick. I had to know what, what, uh, what, 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 what are, uh, what's that? Yeah, well, the opposite of that. <laughs> what makes her talk, right? Tick, talk, yeah, anyways. Um, I had to know the opposite. I had to know who she is? Who is this person? You know, and, and it's sad. Uh, some, some families, when they, everything's revolved around the kids, and the kids grow up and they leave the home, and then they realize, wait, we're, I'm living with a stranger. Who is this person? Now, they knew each other when they got married, but that was 20 years ago. And now they've kind of grown into two different people, and they wake up one day and they think, who are you? You see? And, uh, and I think, by the way, it's very important for the children that they know that the spouse comes first. That mommy loves daddy and daddy loves mommy and, and that that's the most important relationship. There's stability in that. It's funny. My kids will catch my wife and I uh, kissing from time to time, or you know, and uh, and, and I'll see them kind of smile. You know why? They 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 love that their parents love each other. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and then we follow principles of uh, uh, of loving compassion. This principle continues to the application of nourishing and cherishing uh, every, every act of uh, self, excuse me, selflessness, every expression of affection, every word of kindness contribute to an environment where God's grace can fro, flow freely. First Peter 3:8, finally, be of one mind. Having compassion one to another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. This should be the norm in our homes. Um, I think this is why it's very difficult sometimes when we get in public or we get around a church setting and we, we, we try to tell our children, you know, we may not say it this way, but we're telling our children, now act like a Christian when you get to church today. Right? We don't fight. We don't hit. We don't take toys. We don't, you know, and, uh, and it's like we're trying to make up for not doing those things all week in the home. What was happening in the home? There was bickering. There was fighting. There was all this stuff going on. And then we come to church and we say, all right, we've got to act like little saints now. Folks, that puts a burden on your child, and, uh, and it's no wonder that so many of our young people just kind of walk out after it's all said and done. You know, they, they grow up, and they graduate, and they get on their own, and, and they're like, you know, I just, I don't really don't have time for church. Why? Because they remember it being a burden. The, the, their memories of it were having to, 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 to just, just, just mind uh, everything. Now, should they mind these things? Yeah, but it's not, it should, should just be there right? It should flow from a, uh, from a habitual life. This is how we live. This is how we do life together. We as a family love each other. We as a family serve each other. By the way, love should be a commonly used word in your home. I love it when my little girl just out of the blue comes up to me and says, I love you, daddy. There was nothing that prompted it. It was not a response to me saying I love you to her. Or just random hugs. My, my teenage daughter, I don't want to embarrass her, she's not in here. But uh, she'll just, you know, walking around the house, she'll just come up and just give me a big old hug. You know what that does for a dad? We've, we've cultivated an atmosphere where we don't just love each other, excuse me. <clears throat> but we express it. We say it. We, we show it. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. <clears throat> Now, uh, we need to show respect to the members of the family, and, con- and really confirming their great value in Christ. And it takes—it uh, uh, will start to take shape in forms of of lending a helping hand, offering forgiveness when necessary, confronting, her, uh, her, uh, comforting the hurting, and building up those around us with words that we speak. Looking uh, close at, at, at uh, these principles. Right? And by the way, sometimes it even takes confronting issues, lovingly confronting issues. But, but let me say this, you're going to do, go a lot further confronting issues with your young people if the relationship's been developed. You see, because they know it comes from a heart of love. If all they ever get is criticism, all they ever get is I'm not good enough, they're not going to respond well when the correction comes. You see, rules with, uh, without relationship breeds rebellion. Rules with relationship breeds response. Do I have a relationship there? Um, something that's just kind of leaped out at me just this last year is that proverb that I think we all know faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know what leaped out at me about that passage is of a friend. Am I on friend level before I go in to wound that person? We always, we always focus on, well, you go ahead and wound them. Faithful for the wounds of a friend. Make sure they know their error. Make sure they know how to correct it. And hold on a second. Are you on friend level? Because otherwise, it's kind of like, who are you to tell me this? Who are you to say this to me? You see? And so it is with your children. Ephesians uh, 4, 29-32. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, right? Uh, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away uh, from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Interesting, right in the middle of that, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. If we're going to put all those verses together and say, what does this have to do with the other verses? That tells me that when corrupt communication does proceed out of my mouth or when it's not being used for edifying, that it's not ministering grace to the hearers, what have I done? I've grieved the Holy Spirit. When bitterness is taking control, wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, I'm going to grieve the Holy Spirit. So regardless of your position in your family, if you'll seek God's power, understand His pattern, and follow His principles, really in everything, in every relationship, uh, you're going to find unity developing in your home, and, uh, and it's going to be consistent with this thought. Uh, if we have homes, We have homes that are striving together in Christian love, in in, in Christianity, in doing life together. When we come together as a church, when we assemble, the definition of church, when we assemble together and we do the work of God, what's going to happen? There's going to be a unified church. There's going to be a striving together church because it grew out of those homes that are healthy, you see. So we have each of these family units, and I'm so glad you're all sitting with your families, you're distanced, right? I'm not glad about the distance, but I'm, I am glad, okay? Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but what are we doing? We're lo- I'm looking at these family units and saying, how's your striving together going? Not striving like this, but we're working together. We're fighting this fight together and growing in the Lord in these areas. Uh, I'll tell you what, that's what's going to prepare our children because they've learned how to... Uh, how to behave in, in, uh, in that controlled setting, that controlled environment. And all of a sudden, when they get out there and parents aren't looking over their shoulders, it's just a habit. Wow, I just love this worker. He just, he's so respectful, yes sir, no sir, and he just gets the job done, and he's on it, and he encourages the other workers. Boy, I tell you what, who is this kid, right? That's not normal. And that should be said of every Christian young person. When they get their first job, you know, boy, this kid, this guy's different. You know, and that's that's how it ought to be. Sadly, sadly, many times that's not the case, and it really put, brings reproach on the name of Christ because uh, you don't have to be somewhere long before you realize, oh, they go to this church, or oh, they came from that family, or or what have you, and it's a reproach. But uh, so it all starts in the home, and I appreciate you folks. I appreciate the spirit of our church that this is is really is a desire of our church that we want to grow and help and and cultivate strong homes because that is what makes a strong church, you know. By the way, it's what makes a strong nation. Why is the home under attack in America? (laughs) Because our country is under attack, you see. And so you tear down that, the foundation, the backbone of our country, then our country will fall as well. So so we're going to stand. We're going to, uh, as a church, as believers, do what's right. In our perspective areas, and as a church, we're going to be uh, honoring God and unified in this area. So, appreciate you all, folks. Let's have a word of prayer. Yes. Yes. Absolutely, yeah absolutely, yeah, and I think the the key is training ground is the home, you know but uh but absolutely, and I've had bosses like that, um, I tried to be like that when i was uh when I was a supervisor in the military, you know and and um Tried to, I tried to serve them, is what I tried to do, my, my subordinates. I served them, and uh, what I found was loyalty. And um, I'll say I did everything right or perfect all the time, but, uh, but that was my heart, and, uh, and I think they saw that. And also, you'll, uh, uh, people will be very forgiving when they know you have that kind of a heart as well. Uh, that's a good, good observation there. Let's have a word of prayer.